Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. So again, this is the cost of discipleship or the cost of following Jesus. I have a couple Bibles I'll be using. And so first, I want to tell you this. The heart of this message is this, that I I live with this conviction that there is only really one way. There's only one way. And I want to talk about what that looks like. There's only one way to follow Jesus. I am worried that in this day and in this age, we've been catering the message and creating false converts. The people who, who, if the light that they think that they have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. That we've begun to pursue and, and accommodate because my point that I'm going to get to is there's only one way and it's not easy. It's not an easy way. And I'm sorry if it's ever been sold to you that it's easy. I'm sorry that if you've ever been lied to that, again, that God's highest priority is just you getting rich and famous and all of these things. That it, It's not an easy way. It truly is not an easy way. But the reality is that Bible says, especially in the last days, that people will depart from the true faith. It says they'll chase after uh, teachers that will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear, that they'll be deceived by the doctrine of demons. So something's happened in the body of Christ and in this generation where we realize people don't want to hear about the cost of truly following Jesus. So they'll go somewhere that'll tell them that they can have Jesus without the cost. And so now, because people are going somewhere else that, are, that is telling them they can have Jesus without the cost, people are beginning to alter the message of the Bible and the message of the gospel and, and giving down a watered-down, compromised message that's producing people that will stand before Jesus Christ on the day of judgment, and he'll say, depart from me. I never even knew who you were. That is a serious thing. Matthew chapter 7, it, it brings... Matthew chapter 7 might be my drive to stay in ministry. Things like, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter in. That statement right there drives me to keep with the body of Christ, to keep telling people, to keep warning people. Because I begin to think, Lord, how many people do I know that have have called, that claim the name of Jesus, There's a huge category. How many people do I know that are actually doing the will of the Father? Very few. And that actually lines up with what he says in verse 13. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and and it's wide for many choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. The road is difficult and only a few ever find it. So... They're all these people. <clears throat> and that's the word discipleship. 
You know, I, I'm not an evangelist, so, and so I'm not going to hate on the evangelist because I just see things differently. But the evangelist, all they see is souls, souls, souls. Let's just get you to confess it, and then we move on. But that's not my role. That's not my call. You know, the reality is that there's more than confession that has to happen in order to make it into heaven. And that's clear when you read the gospel account. There's more than just a simple confession that you do nothing with. That is not what earns people into heaven. There will be people that make that confession, but he says, you never did the will of my Father, so depart from me. I never knew you. You're like, well, if that's the case, if, if, if Christians that only actually pay the price of discipleship, which we'll talk about, are the ones that will be granted access, that's not going to be very many people. And that's what he said there. Only few will ever find it. I'm not convinced that everybody in the American church is going to heaven. I'm not convinced that just because you came to church on a Sunday morning that you're going to heaven. You're doing better probably than someone that's just in their flesh and sitting at home, but that's, that's not what grants, the, the, opens the door for you. And so... You know, this really, it stirred this, and I've had this thought, but we've just watered it down. I was driving yesterday with my wife and my children, and I saw this church, and it's, it's a big problem. It's not just one church, but the church had on its sign, like, Roo-Roo Scooby-Doo. Mess, like, uh, it said something like, Roo-Roo Scooby-Doo Sermons. Like, how stupid is that? Why? Well, because it's October and it's Halloween. So what are we going to do? We're going to preach Roo-Roo Scooby-Doo messages to people. Why are we going to preach Roo-Roo Scooby-Doo messages to people? I, I know, it sounds stupid. It sounds as stupid as it looked when I looked, drove by the board. Why are we going to preach those messages to people? Because the gospel is not enough to draw that crowd. Right, the crowd that we're going after, because ultimately we're going after the crowd and we're not going after souls. We're not going after disciples. He didn't say, just go and get a bunch of people to confess. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey. And you see that, like the church is having to cater and reinvent and do all of this stuff just trying to draw the crowd in. Because God forbid we preach the gospel, and what if the gospel does its job? What if you're in a crowd of a thousand people, and you preach the cost of following Jesus, and then the next night you show up, and there's only 400 because 600 heard it and said, it's not worth it. I'm not willing to count the cost. Guys, in the flesh, you would say, well, we're having a decreasing meeting, but actually in the spirit, the gospel is doing its purpose. For some, it'll be a block that you build your life on, but for others, it'll be the stumbling block. And if it's a stumbling block, let it be a stumbling block to you. If it's a stumbling block to you, it needs to be. So that you stumble, but then you know what it is. It's right there, and you have to reject it. And then when you stand before God, you can't say, I didn't know. Nobody ever told me. No, they told me, but I wasn't willing to pay that price. I wasn't willing to do that. And so I rejected the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. You know, we had, uh, this is also what spurred, spurred me to talk about this. Recently, 
we had a kid. This is funny. And I, I, I don't, I'm not mad at this kid. I'm not mad at this person. Genuinely, I'm not. But this is kind of the big picture issue that I want to deal with. They said to one of the other kids, they said, I don't go to y'all's church anymore. And then they made the statement, that church is not for me. And that statement just bothers me. Because it's true, in America, we have churches like we have marble slab flavors. There's a flavor for everybody. Whatever your flavor is, you know, that, that's just not for me. That's just, that just doesn't do it. That doesn't accommodate what I want. I don't go to that. That's just not for me. And I just begin to scream out of my spirit. Why is there another way? Why is there another way being offered to people? Because what she actually went on to say was, I've started going to this other church, which is funny. Everybody that's left this church and said things like, they're too radical, they're too serious, you know, they do all that. They all seem to flock together at the same place. And uh, she said, I like going to this church. They don't make me feel bad about missing stuff. Said, number one, no one chases you down and makes you feel bad about missing stuff. Number two, you feel bad about missing stuff because we preach. We, we're making disciples here, teaching people that there is an obligation that you have to fulfill to the Lord. I like going over here because they, they're not so radical about it. And then, and then this person actually went on to say, this kid, the other kid said, well, what about a standard? And, and then they replied, where in the Bible does it say that a Christian is to be held to a standard? I mean, it's a kid, right? But here's my point. Why is there another way being presented to you down the street? Why is it in Huntington we have 75 to 100 registered churches? A church for every flavor of what you want. And so I want to just simplify this. There is only one way according to the Bible. Say one way. Again, I'm not mad at this person. In fact, I'm, I'm really um, not mad at all. But this is the major problem in the Church of America. Why is there an, another way that's being sold to people? So let's start out with Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 25. Turn your Bibles there. I'm going to read in the Amplified. It says this, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, say anyone, if anyone desires to be my disciple, say disciple. Okay, let me also say this as well, that in the Bible, I'm not going to go into the showing this, but in the Bible, there is no difference between a disciple and a Christian. Because there's a clear standard of discipleship when you read the ministry of Jesus, but now the goofy grace message that's been totally uh, I mean, just totally warped and corrupted, actually goes out to teach people now that, well, you know, being a believer and being a disciple are two different things. You can actually be a believer, and, and, but there's a higher level of being a disciple. So, you know, basically, you can have Jesus without any of the commitment. You'll still go to heaven. You're a believer. But then when you mature, you become a disciple. That's actually scripturally atrocious, 
You can't separate it in the scripture. And you read through the book of Acts, read the King James, New King James. They called the group of believers, the church, the disciples of the Lord. Not just the 12, the church. There was no little, you know, lukewarm, lethargic group over here. You were a disciple. Go and make disciples, Jesus told them to do. Okay? So if you want to be my disciple, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself. That's part of the cost. Deny himself. What does that mean to deny yourself? That's why I love the Amplified. It says, disregard, lose sight of, forget himself and his own interests. Can you imagine Jesus? He wasn't trying to build a crowd of people. And I'll actually show you why in Luke 14 in a moment. He had people coming. Me and my wife yesterday driving, we began to read the book of Mark, first chapter. Jesus' ministry, I mean, he was so different than ministers today, ministries today. He would heal people and say, don't tell anybody who did it. Don't tell anybody what, what, what you saw. Don't tell anybody who I am. A healing happens today. What do we want to do? We want to be the peacock strutting across. Oh, look at me. Let me get, put it on Facebook and social media. And, and we're just trying to build up self. But yet Jesus healed somebody. He said, don't even tell anybody what's been done to you. And he tried to enter into a city. And it says the city was so packed that they were waiting for him. He couldn't even enter into a city. How many people were waiting for him? He wasn't sitting there trying to just take up offerings and get rich and, and, and build a following. You know, they would come to him by the thousands, and he didn't lie to them. If you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. You have to forget your own interests. Disregard. You know, your life right now, you better, if you better just die to it. If you're not willing to die to it, you can't be my disciple. You want to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. You must disregard, lose sight of, forget himself and his own interests, and take up the cross and follow me. I want you to see that. That's the problem with most Christians is they never die to their own interests. We are serving our own interests and trying to get God to come behind our own interests. But a true servant of the Lord says, Lord, I'll die to my own interests. I want to move to the city. Why do you want to move to the city? Well, there's city life. It's more fun. Better things for my kids and make more money. And Really, that's your own interests. What if the Lord told you to stay in Podunk, Huntington, and you oh, there's nothing here? Well, who cares? If he said it, you die to your own interests and you obey the Lord. Come on, somebody. That's what it, you have to literally die to your own interests. Take up my cro- your cross and follow me. You know, and again, that, that word, take up your cross, we use it so metaphorically. Well, how many of you know taking up your cross, that's when you get a flat tire. You're suffering for the Lord. you got to take up your cross and follow the Lord. That lady at work, you know, she says something mean to you. you got to take up your cross. No, there was only one interpretation of this, literally, You have to be willing to pick up a cross, follow me up of that hill, and get crucified next to me. That's pretty intense. 
Hey, guys, you want to follow me? I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is about you getting rich. This is about you getting famous. This is about you being the greatest. His disciples argued, who's the greatest? He pulled a child out and said, unless you become like this child, you'll be least in the kingdom. This ain't about your health and, 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 and your wealth. And, and I should say health. We know Jesus went around healing the sick. But it's, this is not about promoting you. In fact, what this is going to cost you, you have to be willing. Get across, drag it alongside me. And are you willing to go up on that hill and get crucified next to me? So he says... Take up his cross and follow me, cleaving steadfast to me, conforming wholly to my example in living, and if need be, in dying also. Say dying. Christians in America, we're not prepared to die. For whoever has been on saving his temporal life, his comfort and security here shall lose eternal life. And whoever loses his life, his comfort and security. Say comfort and security. Guess what? In order to follow Jesus, you have to give up your comfort and your security. What does that mean? That don't expect that when you start following Jesus that your comfort is going to be at his top priority. God's top priority is not keeping the Christian comfortable. You start compromising. Oh, I had to take the vax. Why did, I, why did you have to take the vax? Well, because if I didn't, I'd lose my job. And God doesn't want me to lose my job because if I lost my job, I'd be uncomfortable. And he wants me to be comfortable. So therefore, he's okay with me doing things like, no. Comfort is not at the top of God's priority. You know what? That's at the top of his priority. Standing for Jesus Christ at all costs, even if it costs you everything. If it costs you your job, your house, your money, your life. Are y'all still with me? If anyone wants to be my disciple, so here's my question. Why is it being sold to people any other way? That you can have Jesus any other way than this? Look at Luke chapter 14 in the NLT. We're going to read nine verses here. Luke 14 25 through 34. A large crowd was following Jesus and he turned around. Look at this again. A large crowd was following him. And he turned around and said, If you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, what? You cannot be my disciple. Are we really telling people this? To follow Jesus, guess what? You're going to have to forsake everything. But Brother John, you don't understand. I got saved and I went back home and my family, they're not all about that Jesus thing. Well, it's okay. And I just compromised and I stopped serving the Lord. It's okay. God, God, God understands that. No, he doesn't understand that. I mean, he, in order to, you have to forsake, you have to abandon, you have to, by comparison, hate every other person. In order to be my disciple means you choose me first above everybody every single time without compromise, no matter what. That's, that's hard. Are y'all with me? That's hard. But it's true. And there is no other way. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, how do we come? It's not just a confession. You must die to everything. What do you think Paul meant when he said, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me? That wasn't cute. That wasn't just some slogan. Wasn't just some catchy thing that he said. He said, Paul died. Paul had to die. I, Apostle Paul, he said, I, you, you wouldn't understand. You think that you're great and grand. He said, I, I have more reason to boast than you. I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews, come from the tribe of Benjamin, raised up in the strictest adherence to the law, trained by the top theologians. And yet he said, I, I forsake all of it, counted it as dung for the sake of knowing Christ. Guess what he was saying? I died. Paul's dead. His interests, dead. What he wants, dead. His little dream of the, of the life on the field, you have to die to it. So he says, look at this. So he told them, and this is what I'm going to talk to you about today. Don't begin until you count the cost. Don't begin until you count the cost. Jesus didn't water it down. He gave it to him straight. This is what it's going to cost you. And no one's going to make you do it. Nobody can make anybody do it. You have to count the cost and decide to follow the Lord or not follow the Lord. He says, who would begin construction on a building without first calculating the cost to see if there was enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might only complete the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They say, there's the person who started in that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors and to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat 20,000 soldiers marching against him? If he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Far away. Look at verse 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. And that wasn't metaphorically. In order to follow Jesus in the Bible, the rich young ruler, he literally said, sell everything that you have, give the, give the money to the poor, then come follow me. Then look at this. This is what I want you to see. Verse 34. Salt is good for seasoning, but if salt loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good for neither the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I've read that many times and never really understood. I knew salt preserved, but this flavor, I was like, what does that mean? Basically, what Jesus is saying here is this, in context of discipleship. I was telling the prayer group this, but can somebody bring me some sugar or something? Bring the sugar shaker from the sanctuary. Bring it out here. Man, she's running. Thank you. No, just leave it, leave it sealed. Yeah, leave it sealed. Let me see that. Thank you. Okay, so it's talking about, he's talking about salt without flavor. 
Have you ever like thought about that? What, what is he really saying? What does he mean salt that's lost its saltiness? And it's basically this is, what good is salt without saltiness? You know, why do you use salt? You got bland food, you put, you put these little, this isn't salt, it's sugar, but these little, these little white microscopic flakes, you know, on your, on your food and it gives it flavor, it gives it a saltiness. But he's saying this, that if the salt had no saltiness, basically it'd be useless. It's like who would take their plate of food and just dump, I mean, like flavorless, absolutely no flavor whatsoever, just start dumping this all over their food. Like they wouldn't do that. It has no value at all whatsoever. And so basically that's what Jesus is saying in in context here. He's saying a Christian that is not willing, a, a person that's not willing to deny themselves, to die, to forsake all else, take up their cross and follow me, is like a salt that has no saltiness. Basically he's saying, it's useless to me. I have no use for the Christian that won't deny themselves and pay the price of discipleship. You see what he's talking about, an army? You know, he's, Jesus is basically saying this. He's talking to the thousands, to this crowd. And he's not sitting here trying to enlist people to the army. He's basically saying, we're going to war. And I know the price. I know the church that needs to be built. I know the power of hell. I know what's coming in the years to come. I know what's going to take place. And it's useless for me to try to sit here and enlist a bunch of people that are not willing to pay the price because they honestly they have no value not that I don't love them and didn't die for them but they're of no use to me but you know we got all this salt because we're just going after the numbers people Christ with no discipleship And we're so hell-bent on the, on the amount, you know, we, we sit here and we, t- we take this salt and we say, well, we're going to do everything. We're going to change our service. We're going to water down the word and we're just going to get people to come and, 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 and this is what we'll do. We'll just look around and say, wow, look, look how big my pile is over here. Look at all the stuff that we did and, 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 and all of these things to get this big pile over here of all of this salt. And, and my pile's bigger than your pile. And look how we're blessed because look how big that our pile is here. But Jesus said that if, it, if it's the Christian that's not willing to deny themselves, what is it? It's a big pile of useless poo-poo. <laughs> Are you with me? Are y'all with me? It has no value to the kingdom whatsoever. God's highest priority when you read the Gospels, you want to come bring that bucket up here? Let me dump this. Thanks. I could have just put it on the ground and said, all right, Bryston, I'm not mean. I would never do that. Just kidding. I'll vacuum it up. But are you guys with me here? This is what he's saying. It's useless. Say useless. 
Jesus was saying, I have no use for the person that's not willing to die, for them, to die to themselves. I have no value. I have no use. It's not even good for fertilizer. They serve no purpose. But that's what we're trying to do. Just look how big my salt mound is. Look, look how big my mound is. My mound's bigger than your mound. And, and look how blessed that we are because we have all of these numbers. But in heaven, he's, that's not the goal of God. Discipleship's the goal of God. You know, I was having a conversation with my mom the other day, and she was talking about praying, and wow, you know, the Lord's going to bring the multitudes and, and all of this stuff. And I just stopped, and I said, what's the, what's the point, though? What, what would be the point of having a church of 2,000 people if 1,980 of them are going to hell and 20 of them are going to heaven? It's a, a big mound of salt that has no value whatsoever. Why is there another way being sold to people? Count the cost. Count the cost. Say, count the cost. Why do you need to count the cost? And I'm going to tell you what he's saying here. Listen, before you just dive into this, I want you to think about what you're doing. Why would he say that? And I'm going to tell you something that will honestly get me kicked out of some circles, but I don't care because theologically, I believe that it's true. I don't want to undersell this to you. You must count the cost because following Jesus is going to be hard. Listen to me, church. Following Jesus is going to be hard. I know what some of you may be thinking. Well, what about Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30? Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest and take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. I'm gentle. I'm humble and gentle at heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Another translation says. So you're like, how is following Jesus hard if his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Well, I just want to bring some contextual accuracy. He wasn't talking about you'll just have an easy life. He was saying his yoke you, know, you got to think about this. They were under the yoke of the law at that time. All of these laws and commandments that ultimately they could never actually fulfill. And so Jesus' whole ministry, what did he say? Love the Lord, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and in doing that you fulfill all the requirement of God's law. That's the easy yoke in comparison to the yoke of bondage that they were under under the law. Right? So that actually isn't just talking about you'll just have this easy breezy life that's just comfortable. I'm going to show you by example that that's not true. Count the cost. Why do you need to count the cost? Because the way following Jesus will be hard. Come on, somebody. This is uh, Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Jesus said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Narrow, say narrow. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for many who choose that way. Say many. So actually Jesus is saying the majority are going to choose the highway to hell. Well, we're going to have a revival and 7 billion people on the planet are going to get saved. Well, that's not what the Bible says. I believe in revival. I believe in things that God has spoken. But I'm telling you, sometimes it's taken to extremes. Many will choose the pathway to hell. 
I've told you this many times that I, I believe in what God's going to do and pour out in America, but it will not take away from the great apostasy that was prophesied in the scriptures. All America is going to be saved. No, it's not true. It's not true scripturally. In the last days, many will depart from the true faith. You know, I believe that when God does this, there's, there's a way that it could happen where you'll have Christians leaving, you'll have Christians coming in, and then there'll be a remnant that stands firm that God just purifies like a holy bride, spotless and pure without blemish. But just this idea that, well, you know, there's 7 billion people on the planet and all 7 billion are going to get saved in this coming revival. That if someone starts saying stuff like that, you need to be cautious because that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Many will choose the highway to hell. It's broad. It's chosen by many. But the gateway to life is very narrow. Say very narrow. And look at this. And the road is difficult. Say difficult. And only if you ever find it. If you have another translation, you say, well, my Bible doesn't use the word difficult there. Well, the Bible, the, the word that is used there, narrow, if you look at the Greek word, it means pressed hard. It means to trouble, to afflict, to distress. So what is Jesus saying? The pathway to life is going to be narrow, and what's it going to be filled with? You're going to be pushed. You're going to be pressed. You're going, there's going to be affliction that comes. There is going to be trouble that comes. John 6, I've told you this so that all of you will have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Not you may, might, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Do you understand that Jesus wasn't underselling it? Count the cost. Why do you need to count the cost? Because it's going to be a difficult road at times. Come on, church in Texas. I know it ain't what people always want to hear, but it's the truth. Matthew 24, 9 through 14. You'll be arrested. You'll be persecuted. You'll be killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. So you get why he's saying count the cost? Why? Because I'll make you rich. I'll make you famous. I'll make you, you know, you'll just be in comfort for all the days of your life. No, he was telling them you're going to be arrested, persecuted, and killed. So basically, you need to understand that. You need to be willing to take up your cross, come up on the hill, and be crucified next to me. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. You know, <coughs> we cannot get lost in this temporary time of religious freedom that we have in the United States of America. No other time in history has the church been free like it is right now in America. And in fact, I'll tell you, many places in the world, the church is not free like it is in America. There are still people all over the world that they realize the cost that I'm talking about, that saying yes to Jesus Christ could very well mean putting a target on their family's back, their children, their wives, definitely forfeiting their own lives. Listening to other ministers talk about conversion, uh, you know, uh, uh, people converting under the Soviet Union 
back in the day. And there was a time where they understood there was no false conversion. There was no cheap grace. By me saying yes to Jesus Christ, there's a very good chance that I'll lose my life for this. You know, you have this in America. We've, we've had the church has underwent persecution. They've been arrested, persecuted, killed all throughout history. And you think, well, what about America? America was formed because men came over here to escape that, and they paid a high price for it. They got uncomfortable so that we could have momentary comfort. And I do say momentary because relatively we live in a, a little few hundred year span where it costs us nothing to follow Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, that's not the future of America. Listen to me, guys. It's not the future of America where it costs you nothing to follow Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever heard the quote, a man from the Middle East, he said, my great-grandfather walked my grandfather rode a camel. I drive a BMW. My son will drive a Mercedes or a whatever, Maserati, something crazy like that. And then he said his son, he'll drive a, a Tesla, then, and then his son, he'll ride a camel, and then his son will walk. And they're like, what? How does that make sense? He said, because hard times make for strong men, and easy times make for weak men. We had men that paid a high price for us to have easy times. And I do fear that we've come into a time where the easy times is producing a weak church. When we begin to formulate these doctrines that God's highest priority is just me being comfortable and, and, and that this is God's best will is just us living in this little bubble of uncontested comfort. And, and I'm telling you, it's not, it's not scripturally congruent. You'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Many will turn away from me, betray, and hate one another. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So he said you need to count the cost. Why? Because you'll be arrested, you'll be persecuted, you'll be killed. John 15, you need to count the cost. Why do I need to count the cost? He said in verse 18, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. The, Lord, the, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Say it hates you. Again, are we really preparing Christians to be hated? You know, we're not. I can tell you firsthand being in this community, the second that you, that you slap the wrong demon and someone don't like what you're doing, all the Christians come running to you thinking, you must be doing something wrong because people don't like what you're doing. Is that Christianity in the Bible? Jesus said, they'll hate you. There's a spirit that is of this world that hates the spirit that's on the inside of you. It, if it likes you and tolerates you, it's because you're doing something wrong. Every great man of God, woman of God, that did anything for the Lord did not do it without a severe resistance and persecution. 
You study Martin Luther. I'll talk about the Protestant Reformation. You think that it was just easy peasy for him? He says, you can read quotes from his diary. He said, I wouldn't wish this type of, this pressure that I feel on a hundred men. You know, the, the rejection that he felt, the resistance that he felt. I was listening to Martin Luther King Jr. He was a civil rights activist, but before that, he was a preacher. And in his day, it was popular to preach about the gospel, and it was unpopular to preach about civil rights. And in our day, it's popular to preach about civil rights, and the gospel's unpopular. But basically, whenever uh, in his day, he was not popular. He was standing against the current. Are you guys with me? And guess what ended up happening? He lost his life for it. Say the world will hate you. I mean, Jesus is telling them, you're going to go city to city, place after place. Remember, you are like sheep that I'm sending out to vicious wolves. You're going to go and you're going to enter into a city and everything in that city will do everything that it can to kill you, to steal you, to destroy you. You'll have many trials. You may have troubles, but take heart for I've overcome the world. Not only will you be hated by the world, but Jesus said you must deny your own father and mother, brother and sister, even your own children. In a family, he said, you think I came to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword, dividing households between one another. What if this? What if your family turns against you? What if your spouse turns against you? What if your, your nieces and nephews, your brothers, your sisters, what if they turn against you? You must count the cost and follow Jesus because you don't have the biblical luxury of compromising. Following Jesus, he said the pathway is narrow and it's difficult. Count the cost because following Jesus, there will be times following Jesus is hard. Look at Paul's hardships. Are they Christ's servants? He says, I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder. I've been put into prison more often. I've been whipped times without number. Paul was put into prison multiple times for the gospel. He says he had been whipped, flogged so many times he can't even keep count. I've faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That's what they gave Jesus. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent whole night and day adrift at the sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and robbers. I've faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and in the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. Amen, I know about that a little bit. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry, I've been thirsty, I've gone without food, I've shivered in the cold, I've went without enough clothing to keep me warm. Did it, did it, at, any, at any point did it sound like Paul thought that the highest goal of God was just this comfort bubble for him? Not at all. No, he understood the cost of following Jesus Christ. I'll give you a list of how the apostles, this is historically how the different apostles died. Matthew, the apostle Matthew, he suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia. He was killed by a sword. 
Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. John faced martyrdom, but when he was boiled in a huge basin basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. Imagine that. They've got a boiling pot of oil and threw this man in it alive. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. John was then sentenced to the mines on the prison island of Patmos. He wrote his prophetic book of Revelation on Patmos. The apostle John was later freed and returned to serve as a bishop of Edessa in modern Turkey. He died as an old man, the only apostle to die peacefully. Did you hear that? John was the only apostle to die in his old age, peacefully. Peter was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross. According to church tradition, it was because he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus Christ had died. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown over a hundred feet down from a southwest pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. When they discovered that he survived the fall, his enemies beat James to death with fuller's clubs. This was the same pinnacle where Satan had taken Jesus during the temptation. James, son of Zebedee, was a fisherman by trade when Jesus called him to a lifetime of ministry. As a strong leader of the church, James was beheaded in Jerusalem. The Roman officer who guarded James watched amazed as James defended his faith at his trial. Wow. Going to the literally be beheaded, doesn't renounce Christ, just keeps defending the faith. Martin Luther did the same thing. He stood right in front of the Pope and told him, and for God, the devil to hear, find fault in what I've said through the scriptures. The scripture and the scripture alone. And when he said it, they said, refuse all your writings. He said, I won't do it. He knew he was going to die, but the Lord actually spared him. Later, um, the officer walked beside James to the place of execution, overcome by conviction. He declared his new faith to the judge and knelt beside James to accept beheading as a Christian. Wow. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed for our Lord in present-day Turkey. Bartholomew was murdered for his preaching in Armenia, where he was filleted to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Partris, Greece. After being whipped several severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords and to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led towards the cross, Andrew saluted it in these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. He continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he expired. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips to establish the church in the subcontinent. Jude, he was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas Iscariot, was stoned and then beheaded. 
Paul was tortured and then beheaded by the evil emperor Nero in Roman AD 67. Paul endured a lengthy imprisonment which allowed him to write many of his epistles to the churches that he had formed throughout the Roman Empire. These letters, which taught many of the the foundational doctrines of Christianity, form a large portion of the New Testament. This was a a post that I took all of this from, but it says this, Perhaps this is a reminder to us that our sufferings here are indeed minor to compare to the intense persecution and cold cruelty faced by the apostles and disciples during their times for the sake of the faith. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Why do we feel sleepy in prayer, but stay awake through a three-hour movie? Why are we so bored when, the, when we look at the holy book, but yet find it easy to read other books? Why, it is easy to igno- why is it easy to ignore a message about God, yet we forward the nasty ones? Why are prayers getting smaller, but bars and clubs are expanding? Why is it so easy to worship a celebrity, but very difficult to engage with God? You see what I mean? It's false. We're telling people a false way that's not biblical. Why is there another way of being preached? The seven churches in Ephesus, this is in Revelation 2-3, the church of Ephesus. Jesus speaks to them and says, you have patiently suffered, say suffered, for me without quitting. The church of Smyrna, Revelation 2-9, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those that oppose you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. The church of Pergamum, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. Extreme persecution. Let me ask that. Now that that verse that says, take upon my yoke, it is easy. Does it sound like he promised an easy life to people? No, he was talking about the new way, the new covenant. This is in alignment with Matthew chapter 7, where he said, the pathway to life is narrow and very difficult, and only a few will ever find it. But despite all of these things, they counted it an honor to suffer for Jesus. I'm going to wrap this up with a few more minutes. Can you guys give me 10 more minutes here? Listen to the writings throughout the New Testament that their expectation of suffering for Jesus Christ. Not only were they willing to put up with it, they expected it. You you understand that? They counted the cost. It wasn't foreign. When things began to happen in their towns, in their cities, in their, in their political climates, they expected these things because of what Jesus clearly said in his word. Look what Paul says in Acts 5, 44-41. The others accepted his advice and they called on the apostles and had them flogged. I'm sorry, this was not Paul, this is Peter. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles left the high council. How did they receive that? Getting flogged, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Look what it says in Hebrews 10, 33 through 36. 
Some of you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew that there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward that it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, that you will continue to do God's will. What is God's will? God's will includes suffering if need be. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Dear brothers and sisters, James 1, 2-4, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? Great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, your faith will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You know, actually what that is talking about too, is it, it, it talks about your faith. You'll have full assurance of your salvation. Another passage talks about that, that, that your endurance will grow and it will give you full assurance in your salvation. What does that mean? That you know that you're the real deal. You know without a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you're going to heaven. Why? Because when the hour of testing came, you didn't compromise. You didn't quit. You refused to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And that actually produces a confidence that when you stand before him, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through. Why should you not be surprised? Because Jesus told them it would happen and they expected to suffer for him. As if something strange was happening to you, instead be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. I know, you, don't, you want to know how to not build a church, start talking about suffering. You know what it'll do though? It'll weed the disingenuous out. And I pray that, None of those, none of that is you. I pray none of you are disingenuous in your heart. For these trials will make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to the whole world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests on you. I'm going to give you these final two points. Why following Jesus is hard. Again, there's, it's clear throughout the Bible. Do you, you see it? It costs you everything. To biblically follow Jesus, it costs you everything. If that is not the Christianity you subscribe to, you've been lied to by somebody. Why is, Jesus, why is following Jesus hard? I'm going to be honest with you. Following Jesus is hard because it's filled with sorrow. If you really care about people. What do I mean by that? Look at Luke 19, 41 through 42. But as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead and he began to weep. Well, you know, I understand the joy of the Lord. We've received the the oil of joy and we rejoice in the Lord always and all of that. But I'm also going to be honest with you. If you care about people, life following Jesus will be filled with many sorrows. 
He wept when he saw the city. Why did he weep? How I wish today that all of you would understand the way to God's peace, but now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. You know, it breaks your heart. As a pastor, I'm going to tell you how many times I weep. How many times the devil comes and says, you know, when you, when you love someone, when you pour into someone, when you do the stuff to help someone, and then you watch them walk away from Christ. You watch them deny the faith by stabbing a brother or sister in the back, doing things like that. Guess what? If you don't care about people, you know what you'll say? Well, good for you. Hallelujah. I'm good and great, and who cares about you? But when Jesus wept over the city. It broke his heart. That's the hardest part. One of the hardest things about being a, a minister is when you care about people, it bothers you. Watching people you love and care about be deceived. And then here's the thing. You can't do anything about it besides pray. Because that's, this is what Jesus is saying. Nobody can make you count the cost. I can't manipulate you. I can't get into your life and tell you what to do from the time you wake up to the time that you go to sleep. And all you can do is sit back, give the word, pray, preach the word, and pray to God that somebody gets a hold of the word. But then when they walk away from it, it breaks your heart. I've loved this person. I've invested in this person, Lord, and this person snatched away by the hand of the enemy. And there's nothing that I can do. Because if they've already determined it in their heart, then it's only, it, there's nothing that I can say to change it. Paul said the same thing. He said in Romans 9.3, he said, For my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if it would save them. So following Jesus is hard because it's filled with sorrow if you really care about people. But that's part of the cost. You know, as a minister, when you give and you give and you give, there's times that you get walked all over like a doormat. And in your flesh, you say, I just don't even want to do this. Just forget it. But that's the cost of following Jesus Christ. Not only as a minister, as a Christian. You'll get walked all over and the devil will tell you, just quit. Just forget it. It's not even worth it. They don't want it. Just leave them be. Let them have what they want then. But you got to go back to the Lord and just got to crucify your flesh and say, Lord, that's the flesh. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And I'll give you this last point today. Expecting an easy life is what causes many to fall away. Matthew 13, 20 through 21, the seed that fell on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. These aren't people that reject it. These are people that receive it. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. Look at this. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. I believe that that really talks about the Christians, that they don't count the cost. Why, why were you surprised when you had problems? Why were you surprised when you were tested? Why were you surprised whenever you had to suffer, from Christ, for, for, suffer for Christ? It's probably because somebody sold you a false version of the Bible 
that made you think that God's ultimate will is just you being happy and you're in this bubble of comfort and, and you'll never have a test, you'll never have a trial, it'll never cost you a single thing, there's nothing to give, only everything to gain. And, and that's true when you really understand the value of the pearl that's hidden in the field. But yet, these Christians, they, they think, well, God's just going to get me rich and famous and make me great and all of this stuff and, and, and make me some celebrity person in, the, in, the, in my city, in my family, in my town, in, in the ministry. And then what happens? The trial comes. The test comes. Persecution comes. Resistance comes. Rejection comes. That world that hates the spirit in you begins to hate you, and you feel that pushback. And now, because you have no deep root in Christ, it says... You fall away as soon as you have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. I'm sorry if anyone has ever undersold you. I'm sorry, truly am, but this is the cost of following Jesus Christ. And each person must count the cost and determine for yourself, is he worthy? Is he worth it? I'll also tell you, too, some of your reward, God will bless you. I'm not talking about a life without blessing. But not all of your blessing, not all of your reward. Are you, I will say 99% of your reward you're not going to receive on earth. There's a crown that's waiting for you in heaven. You know, God really had to deal with me because I, was, I, I, I believed this for a minute where I would hear these people say things like, Every single church that stayed open in 20 to 2022, man, they're just busting at the seams and they're all this blessing and all this stuff. And it used to really bother me because I said, Lord, we did. Didn't happen here. And the Lord began to convict me and say, you didn't do that so that you would get some reward. You did it because it was the right thing to do. And that's what following Jesus is about. It's, it's not just about, yes, I know that God will reward those that diligently seek after him. I'm not talking, but it's not just about we do these things. Oh, I get blessed. I get recognized. I get the increase. I get all this stuff. He said, you did it because it was the right thing to do. You had to stand for me, even if, even if you got no reward and it cost you everything. Even if it left you homeless on the side of the road with two children and you had to figure out what to do from there, you did it because in your hour to stand, you stood. Hallelujah. Let's just pray and I'll dismiss you this morning. Father, help us. Lord, I... I know your word says that unless the Lord builds the house, the worker labors in vain. I can't build this house, Lord. And I can't disciple anybody at, at heart that doesn't want to be. I'm asking you, Lord, draw them, speak to them, do what only you can do. I pray even this morning, Lord, that as I preached that they wouldn't cling to me and just receive something that I said, but that they would receive revelation from the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord. Help us not get caught up in being an American church. Just trying to 
build a giant pillar of salt that's lost its saltiness, that's useless. No, Lord, help us make disciples here. Families that are marked, families that will stand, men and women of God that will stand in what you have assured us is coming. Lord, we will not be surprised when these things happen in America. We will not be surprised over the next five years or ten years or until Christ tarries. We will not be caught off guard because just as the disciples did in the early church, we hold to your words and we are expecting it. So, Lord, make us strong. Make us, our spirit man, strong in this church that we would stand in the hour of testing. That whenever it comes to us and it's our turn to, even if need be, suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would do it with joy, Lord. No matter what the cost. Because we've already counted the cost. We don't have to count it then because we already counted it when we said yes to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. We give you all praise, all honor, all glory in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. I love you all. Thanks for coming. God bless you. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, Check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.